Welcome to Clef Talk, bringing you discussions on the topics that adults affected by cleft lip and or cleft palate have told us matter to them. Brought to you by the Cleft Lip and Palate Association as part of Clapper's Adult Services Programme. Cleft Talk is presented by Kate Flanagan and Nikki Davis and produced by Kenny Ardwin and proudly funded by the VTCT Foundation. Um, so, hi everyone. Thank you so, so much for joining us and for tuning in this Awareness Week for our live question and answer on emotional well-being. So, I'm the Communications Officer at Clapper um, and I'm here tonight with Kenny, who's our Adult Services Manager. Um, and he'll be chatting about cleft and emotional well-being. So, we'll be going through some questions, but there'll also be space at the end for us to answer those. So, by all means, write them in the sort of live comments as we go along and we can address them at the end. Um, so, I guess the first question to start with is, Kenny, why emotional well-being? Yeah, I mean, a really good question. First of all, hello to everyone. Thanks very much for, for joining us and tuning in. We hope you find this useful. Um, some of you may remember in 2018, we, alongside our friends at the Centre for Appearance Research, did a, a big survey looking at whole-of-life experiences for adults. And it was one of the largest surveys of its type in the world. And with that data, myself and the team at the Centre for Appearance Research um, work together to understand what the key issues were that have persisted for people into adulthood. And I think I naively thought it would all fit nicely together in one paper um, to report back to the academic community and to the NHS um, to make you know, a change that Clapper could implement and that healthcare teams could implement. Um, and that would kind of be that really. But I think what we found and what became clear very early on was that actually there was a lot of different things happening for people um, and that to do it at justice, we kind of needed to do a lot, a lot more than that. And we found that emotional well-being was a key component that may have been dismissed quite historically. Um, and so we were keen to kind of make sure it got the attention that it deserved. And so that's why it's become its own paper. Um, and we know that it's a huge part of the cleft journey, um, yet mental health and emotional well-being has taken really until the last five to ten years to enter common discussions. Um, so Clapper and Awareness Week wanted to make it a key focus this year, which I think is really great. And so tonight we're going to focus in on the results and give you some practical tips, hopefully, for your own life. Be you, you know, an adult born with a cleft, but be you the partner of an adult born with a cleft, a family member, a parent. Um, we hope that you can get something out of this and that there's something for everybody. Definitely. Um, so as Kenny's already mentioned, the Adults Whole of Life Survey in 2018 looked at many factors contributing to well-being in adults born with a cleft lip and or palate. So Kenny, can you tell us a bit more about the survey, like its questions, how you went about bringing the responses together and a brief summary of the results? Yeah, certainly. So I brought a prop along, which um, some of you may recognise. This was um, the paper version of the survey. Most people actually filled it out online. Um, but this just gives you an idea of just how comprehensive the survey was. It's what, 54, 54 pages. So, um, you know, there's a lot to it. And we were incredibly grateful to everybody who took the time to complete it. Because as I'm saying before, we've got you know, a huge wealth of information, which has been, been incredibly useful. Um, 
so in this survey, the reason it's so long is because we tried to think of every kind of area of life that cleft may potentially impact and did our best to include that in the survey in one way or another. So be it emotional well-being that we're talking about now, be it, you know, people's surgical experiences or orthodontics, speech therapy, um, all the kind of more obvious stuff to perhaps some of the less obvious stuff. So things like what people do for work and what their education experiences were like, um, how they would rate their friendships, what their romantic relationship experiences have been and, and intimacy and all those sorts of things that are so intertwined with, you know, your experience, but perhaps we don't think of it at first glance. Um, as a result, we had a mixture of, of question types to kind of elicit the sort of information we wanted. So we had a, a mixture of, um, you know, multiple choice, uh, as well as, you know, kind of like shorter answer questions. But what was also really important to us was that we gave everybody the opportunity to tell us anything that we, that they felt we hadn't given them the chance to, to cover. Um, and what we found in those kind of free text boxes was that people shared some very personal and very emotive stories, which we very much felt, you know, myself and you know, particularly um, my colleague Nicola Stock at the Centre for Appearance Research, when we were going through these, we very much felt, you know, a duty to do something with this, that people had taken the time to share some of their most personal, most difficult, in some cases, experiences. And so we we didn't want to waste that, you know, and we wanted to make sure we did something good with it. Um, and so we had over 250 responses to the adult survey, which again, when you think of the size of this thing, that's, that's pretty good. Um, and we ended up with 207 um, final responses that, that we could use. Um, so we found that there were four key areas, which were emotional well-being, which we're talking about tonight, um, physical health, which is people's breathing, speech, hearing, other common conditions, um, their social experiences, which are things like work and relationships. And of course, that's so intertwined with emotional well-being that we bring some of that into the discussion tonight as well, um, as well as medical decision making. So that's people's long term discussions about whether they return to treatment and how they go through that, that thought process. Um, so as we were saying, out of those main areas, we'll talk about emotional well-being today because we found it's a significant factor for people. Um, around half of adults have received a diagnosis, a diagnosis of anxiety or depression, which is higher than average. And we'll, we'll talk a bit about that um, over the course of the evening as well. But it's worth keeping in mind that the cleft population are more likely to be identified because they um, are under the care of a psychologist. Um, and it's worth bearing in mind as well that those who reported a mental condition um, felt that was, you know, that CLEF was partially responsible for that. So I think that's a key finding from the, the survey. Um, and that a smaller number felt that their CLEF experiences were primarily responsible. And then others um, felt that there was something else that happened in their life, which was more likely to be directly responsible for that. Um, positively, most people were receiving at least one form of treatment and the vast majority of people felt psychological support is a vital part of the, of the uh, cleft treatment pathway. And we know that it's a recent addition in the grand scheme of things to, to cleft care. And so it's worth bearing in mind that the adult population um, predominantly actually haven't received psychological care. So 
Um, it's really come in, you know, like we were saying, it's common discussion the last five, 10 years, it's come into cleft care within the last 20 years. So prior to that, with, you know, people wouldn't have routinely received psychological care. So it is worth remembering, you know, particularly if you're a parent listening to this, that it's likely your child's experience could be very different as a result of having that psychological input from an, an early age. Um, we know as well that in our group of people who completed this survey, um, that self-esteem seemed to be something that had been impacted by their cleft experience. I think a lot of international research would agree with that finding. Um, and it's sort of worth bearing in mind that self-esteem is something that, that fluctuates for all of us from time to time. Um, and that we, we all have a sense of, of self-esteem, you know, higher or, or lower, depending on what's happening in our life. Um, but when it drops below a certain threshold, that's when we would class it as low self-esteem. Um, that's where someone might not see the value in themselves or may not see in themselves what other people see in them, which obviously is a real, real shame. And we found in this survey that people's self-esteem was generally lower than that of the, the general population, which, as I say, is in line with other research. But the positive is we know that now and it's something that we can do something with, which is what this is all about. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so we'll be going through all those points that Kenny mentioned. So thanks for that pretty good introduction, Kenny. Um, but to start off, um, we'll talk a bit, more, a bit more about that result that we published on our infographics. So the survey found that almost half of the current sample of adults with a cleft lip and or palate self-reported a diagnosis of a mental health condition. For example, self-reported depression rates were higher in this survey compared to general NHS figures. So why might this be? Yeah, well, first of all, I think it is worth acknowledging those numbers are particularly high and I can certainly see, you know, why on first glance they may be quite concerning. But I think it is really important that we unpack that a little bit and kind of explore some of the reasons why we, we may be seeing that, that come true. Um, the first is like I was saying before, you know, keep in mind that people are seen now by a psychologist as part of cleft care. And so any adults as well, who have returned to the system, um, which we actually found from the, the survey were, was quite a lot of them, um, will now be under the care of a psychologist. So although they weren't under a care under care of a psychologist for the first however many years, at the point where they've returned to treatment, they now are. So they will um, get diagnosed with those conditions, um, you know, if they're presenting with them. Um, what we know therefore, is that because people are being seen by a psychologist, um, you know, nowadays, 100% of the cleft population coming through will be seen by a psychologist. Um, we know that they're more likely to get diagnosed with a, a mental health condition because what we also know is in the general population, mental health conditions are widely underreported because a lot of people don't have access to the psychological care that the cleft population does. Um, and we're actually you know, very fortunate in that regard, um, that people are there, therefore being diagnosed earlier um, compared to the general population who aren't having access to cleft care. Um, so that's one factor. And then also people who reported having a mental health condition, as we were saying before, the vast majority were receiving um, support, which would suggest within the cleft population, actually mental health is becoming somewhat destigmatized. And we could see that even in the context of the survey, 
with a group of adults who I think if you were to take that same sort of age range across the general population, um, we wouldn't see as many open discussions on mental health. So actually, I see that as a real positive, the fact that people are talking about it and we're getting that information coming through um, and that people are actually feeling more empowered to seek the support that they need. Um, because we, we just know in the general population, you know, we've got figures that, you know, the NHS will put out, but actually quite likely it's possibly closer to our figure than it is the published figure um, that the NHS have put out. Um, what we can't ignore, though, um, and it would be unwise to ignore, um, is that theft is going to be a risk factor for mental health. Um, and that is why, that's exactly why we have psychologists on the cleft team, because this isn't new news to us. Um, and that we know that support early on in the treatment journey is important. Um, and it, it's worth remembering as well that, you know, anxiety, depression, are normal reactions to an abnormal situation. And we know that when people go through a traumatic experience, they're at a higher risk of having psychological impacts from that. Um, we, we know that cleft is an abnormal situation in the sense that it's not something that most people have to go through or deal with in their life. So it is a unique set of circumstances that comes with a unique set of challenges. And, and I, I want to acknowledge that and not downplay that for people. Um, we know as well that, you know, the current pandemic situation is another example of an abnormal situation. And we, we know already, you know, that its impact on mental health is something that we're already thinking about. Um, the true mental health fallout from what's happening now with COVID-19 is something that, that won't show for many years, but we know that it will, and the impact that it has will be far, far greater, actually, than the number of people who are, you know, get sick or die directly from coronavirus. Um, so there's no inherent weakness or inability to cope in the cleft population. It's just, you know, so being born with a cleft, I think it's really important to point out, doesn't make you mentally weaker and in fact to the contrast many people have said that coming through and out the other side of the cleft experience has given them a sense of resilience and they, that they may be be better able to cope and actually we're seeing that in our community at the moment in these trying times that actually for a lot of them this is something they perhaps are taking in their stride more so than others in the general population because they've got that reference point that life is uncertain sometimes and have got some skills of how to deal with that. Yeah, okay, thank you, Kenny. Um, so before I read out the next question, just want to say hi to everyone that may have just tuned in. <laughs> um, so thank you very much for joining us. Um, and as we mentioned at the start, if you do have questions, feel free to ask them in the comments um, and we'll look at those and address those at the end. So thank you to anyone new and thank you for sticking with us. <laughs> So, um, so we've talked a lot about the importance of psychology and cleft care. Um, so, what are the common, what are some of the common things that impact on emotional well-being that are related to the cleft journey? Yeah. So, I think it's more than people would might think. You know, it's very multifaceted. That, um, and if we start at the most medical level, first of all, you've got people coming to terms with medical treatment and changes in appearance and things like that, which is, a, you know, that's enough to have on your plate and to get your head around as it is. And as anyone who's gone through a significant medical procedure, you know, there's a big element of psyching yourself up for that as well. Um, and, you know, 
that's something that the cleft teams will do a lot with and that the cleft team psychologists in particular will, will make sure that people are ready for um, and they do really understand the impact that that has on emotional well-being as well as kind of the uncertainty and questions about the recovery and, and all those sorts of things the impact on on time out of school work university whatever it is that's important to you um, and also acknowledging that for a lot of people the concerns there are not necessarily what might seem obvious to someone looking from that the outside so while there might be an assumption that someone's actually really concerned or has some fear around the surgery um it may be actually that they've got and it's something that came up a lot in the survey that the bigger thing is actually a needle phobia and that that is part of the anesthetic um and that's actually the thing that people are concerned about but maybe don't feel that comfortable to raise and so the, the cleft team psychologist will will help kind of coax that out of people um it's really important that they do because there's actually stuff that can be done about that so for example if someone does have you know to use it as an example of something that someone may be concerned about if it is a needle phobia there's actually other options you can have for anesthetic that don't involve a needle while you're still awake um and so being able to actually unpack that with people and go through um, and address those concerns is really important. So that's kind of at a medical level of, you know, impacts on emotional well-being and, and what um, the cleft psychologists can do to support that. Um, then there's, like we were mentioning before, people's perception of themselves, which looks at things where self-esteem may be impacted. And that can be someone's perception of how they look um, or how they sound, you know, any speech concerns that they might have. And research will tell us that if we perceive our own appearance or speech to be different from whatever we consider normal to be, um, that this has a negative impact on our self-esteem. And we assume, quite wrongfully often, that others may view us in the same way, which we just know is often not, not the case. And we are all, and I think anybody can relate to this, that we're all our own toughest critic. And that goes, you know, it goes way beyond the cleft world. Um, but that is not to diminish that this is a hurdle to be, be overcome. Um, but I hope people can take some comfort in that actually for most people, at some point in their life, they will feel, feel that way. Um, and sadly for some people, um, and we, we know that this does happen in the cleft community, it was discussed on the roadshows, so it's come up in the survey, um, it comes up on the Facebook page from time to time as well, um, that sometimes other people may have fueled that fire, um, particularly earlier on in life, uh, by making comments about appearance of speech, which are, are lasting, they stick with people and they, they have an impact. Um, and as I was saying, a lot of that can happen in early life. Um, but what we do know is that, that if that is left unchecked and you, know, you continue to believe those thoughts, um, that those experiences can obviously have a profound impact into adulthood. And this is at the heart of our findings, really, that if we build psychological care in early, um, as happens nowadays, um, so that those experiences are able to be unpacked at the time rather than kind of bottled up and hidden away and then they come out in weird and strange ways much later on in life, where it actually has a much bigger impact, um, then you know we can can have a much more positive outcome for people. And I, I think, you know, we, we do have an amazing ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. 
for people, but let's build that fence at the top so that we don't need to use it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you just mentioned that both perception of appearance and of speech um, can affect self-esteem and emotional well-being. So in what kind of ways do these things have an impact? Yeah, so I mean, we know that key to our self-esteem is our self-perception. And so over time, it becomes important to recognise how we perceive ourselves versus how other people perceive us. Because I, I, I honestly believe that we're often harder on ourselves than, than we should be. And as we were saying, it's generally something people struggle with. And um, I think one of the nicest um, quotes I can think of here that I, I've heard people say is um you know when it comes to, to self-esteem because uh, you know it, it is something that we all go through i think from time to time and um i'm certainly no exception to that and i can pull on on my own experiences here and and know that you know sometimes the way i perceive myself is not how others perceive me um and i had a, a good friend fairly recently say you know it's like you know your life would be a lot easier if you were to see yourself the way that I see you and the way that everybody else sees you and it, it is so true but it's not you know that is a lot easier said than done and, and it's not a case of switching on a tap and you can you know view yourself in that way and we know that it changes over time and you know you can have good days and bad days with this but specifically looking at appearance and speech we know that if these differ from from what the norm is considered to be um that they may impact on self-esteem because you may feel that other people notice it whether they say something or not and that can be borne out of early experiences and comments in life and generally by adulthood people won't comment and actually generally by adulthood I, I would say they don't notice in the way that they might have earlier in your life um, but in the back of your mind that perception question that others may judge you can still very much be there um, and we, we understand that very much for appearance. You know, we, we can see plenty of examples of that in our culture and in, in media. You know, I would go so far as to say there's a global obsession with appearance uh, and huge value placed on appearance. And we are starting to see that, that change a bit. Um, but we actually still know that there is a very narrow kind of beauty ideal and that <laughs> the vast, vast majority of people you know, probably greater than 95% don't actually meet, meet that. Um, and so huge numbers of people, the again, the vast majority of people feel inadequate in some way. And it's worth pointing out that even people who fit within that will have something about themselves that they feel, feel insecure about. We all kind of do when it comes to appearance. Um, but when you add on top of that kind of natural human um, concern about appearance, that, you know, an appearance difference as a result of cleft may be even less understood. Um, you can see that how that would impact on self-esteem. And it's worth pointing out again, not in all cases, some people are very confident. And what we want to do is empower everybody to get to that stage where they feel confident in who they are um, and you know, in their own, own skin. Speech is slightly different again, um, because it's not something actually that your average person is particularly aware of. I think we've seen a lot of campaigning around appearance and, and people generally are coming to accept that, you know, you, you don't judge somebody based on their appearance. That's a wrong thing to do. Um, but if someone hasn't had difficulties with speech in their life, it may well have been something that they've taken for granted. Um, so while we are getting good, as I say, through, you know, 
feminism, body positive movement, all those sorts of things that recognizing appearance and people's value and not making value judgments based on appearance, we actually haven't seen the same attention on speech. And we know that it can be quite stigmatized. And so that if you sound different, sometimes people make assumptions about you, which we don't see so often anymore with appearance. So if you have a speech appearance, therefore, without an appearance difference, which is often the case for our isolated cleft palate population, um, it can be harder for people to understand this and therefore easier to make some of those negative assumptions. Um, and we know that speech is actually very important in many settings as well. So workplace, you know, it's a key part of many roles. You might have to talk on the phone, um, which could be you know, quite anxiety provoking if people perceive their speech as different. And there's no huge research on that right now. And I'm quite, quite keen actually to explore that further. Um, and at the moment, you know, particularly at the moment in the situation we find ourselves in globally, um, these feelings to do with appearance and speech may well be heightened for people because none of us enjoy hearing our own voice um, or seeing our own image because we are our own toughest critic and what are we all doing lots of at the moment we're all doing these video conferences um, as part of our, our work life and social life um, where we're hearing our own voice seeing our own image all the time and you know for, for some people that can be quite quite confronting and disconcerting um, and so I just wanted to acknowledge that that really um, and the fact that you know everybody else who is on a video call is far more interested in their own appearance and speech than they are on yours. Um, so that's worth keeping in the back of your mind as well. Um, so yes, in answer to your question, these impact on self-esteem and they may also impact on certain opportunities. Um, you know, people have mentioned certain elements of discrimination, um, you know, in, in the workplace more so because of speech over appearance, but there, there have been examples of both despite the UK's anti-discrimination laws mm, absolutely um so thank you everyone for your comments we're seeing some come in so we'll definitely definitely look at those at the end so keep asking if you've got any questions um but for now kenny would you mind talking a bit more about um you just mentioned workplace discrimination so what are some common workplace discrimination experiences that people sort of addressed in the survey and what sure. can be done about this Sure. So I guess, you know, to begin with, at the most extreme end, you have workplace bullying, which is a very direct attack on somebody in the workplace. And it is a huge problem generally in workplaces. You know, it's been, been identified as one of the, the biggest, if not the biggest health and safety risk in modern workplaces today. Um, and that can take many forms. I mean, obviously, we can think of what overt bullying looks like, you know, where it's name calling, it's physical aggression, it's those sorts of things, um, which, you know, we often see in, in school, you know, at school and things like that. We don't so often see that in the workplace. But what we do tend to see um, in the workplaces is more subtle forms of bullying. Um, and that doesn't usually consist of name calling or, or teasing but it may be a lack of opportunities. It may be somebody not giving you the credit for the work that you do, um, or not being valued or recognized properly, not being given, given a pay rise where others are, um, those sorts of things. And it's important to point out, you know, it's not necessarily bullying if you're being, you know, just because you didn't get a pay rise, that, that isn't inherently bullying. Um, but if you perceive that you're being treated differently, 
as a result of, of your cleft or actually of any other factor um, that isn't related to your work performance um, or your work position, then, then that would be discrimination and, and you would probably have a case to raise that further. Um, in the UK, the UK has got some of the strongest laws in the world on this and um, such discrimination is, is illegal. It's not to say, of course, it doesn't happen. We know that it does. Um, but every workplace is required by law to have processes to deal with this. And in theory, the policy may be, and in some workplaces that will work really well, you know, to speak to your manager or to human resources. But you quite rightly could have the question, but what do I do if I'm being discriminated against by a manager, which actually we know is one of the more common forms of workplace bullying, is it? it's not actually generally your colleagues, but it usually will come from someone higher up you and that's obviously a really difficult conversation to have with a manager if you perceive that they're bullying you so i would recommend that you get advice from somebody you trust i mean ideally a colleague within the workplace who can see what's happening and be a bit of an ally and help you kind of um, take some steps to to remedy that um, but if not if you don't have someone in the workplace that you feel you can talk to about this then consult you know your family friends or your partner but also the UK government guidelines are really clear and there is a mediation service available which can help you with workplace grievances and they can independently, if required, investigate what's happened and make recommendations to the workplace and support you. Um, so that's kind of, you know, workplace bullying. Other people may preempt discrimination. I think this is worth having a conversation about. So you may well be working in a workplace where you're not experiencing discrimination but you've preempted that you might. Um, and so some people may choose, and we saw this come through in the survey a lot, they may choose to work in an area where they feel that they may be more accepted than other areas. So it may result in people not actually taking a dream job um, and settling for another line of work or working for another organization because they feel that they'll, they'll be treated better. And obviously that, that is concerning for us because someone may not be reaching their potential or having as high a level of job satisfaction as we would want for people. You know, we know that we spend lots of time normally at work. Um, and so it needs to be something that's important to you and more, you know, ideally it should be something more than something that pays the bills. And it's a real shame actually to see people missing out on this out of fear that they might be discriminated against. Um, and so in this scenario, if you feel that there's something you want to do with your time, but you're not doing it out of fear of potential reaction or consequence from other people, then that is something that you can talk through with a cleft team psychologist. They're, they're experts, they've seen it before, and they can give you strategies to work through how you're feeling and hopefully give you the confidence to feel empowered to do what you want to do. Um, because the only shame with all of this would be to miss out on life. And there are other things that, that may come into this as well, like you know, a lack of promotion, for example, um, where people feel that they're on par with their colleagues, but because the role involves, you know, speaking, for example, like maybe chairing a meeting in a managerial role or giving presentations to other companies, people feel that they've been overlooked for those roles um, because of their speech or appearance, which obviously is not only unfair, but it's illegal. But unfortunately, it can happen. And it's not necessarily deliberate. I think it, it's key to keep in the back of our mind as well, is that we know that they're, 
there's unconscious biases out there, which is when people make assumptions on characteristics of somebody, but don't recognize that that's what they're doing. Um, and that can be prevalent, particularly at the interview stage. It tends to be less of an issue when somebody gets to know somebody, um, but it's the result of people's own worldview and perception rather than what you bring to the table. Um, and so my advice for employers there is, is to be really clear with people as well as to why you're turning them down. And if you're not clear on that yourself, then you need to go and have a think about, okay, well, if this person is qualified for the job, why am I taking this person over that person? You need to be really clear on that. Um, not only because that's what's legally required of you, but because that is a, you know, helps you get the right person for the job, which ultimately is your aim when you go out to recruit. Um, you know, recognizing as well that going to an interview um, for anyone is a big, big undertaking. And, um, you know, to not be successful is more often not a reflection on you, but it's actually a reflection on that there were just other strong candidates who may be better suited for the role, may have more, more experience. Um, and similarly, if you feel you've been discriminated against through unconscious bias, um, which may not just be because of cleft, it, it may well be because of, of other attributes as well. And it's worth recognizing that, you know, unfortunately these things are cumulative as well. So if you have more than one attribute that may make you vulnerable to unconscious bias, they can be exponential. They add on top of each other. So again, if you feel empowered to do so, raise this with a potential employer. Um, but again, if you don't feel comfortable, you know, go through the government support service to raise the issue of unconscious or perhaps even blatant bias. And finally, it's worth pointing out that for a lot of people, their work experience actually was a really positive thing. You know, I don't want to um, make it out like you're going to have problems at work because actually a lot of people told us that going to work um, was a really positive experience. They were really proud of what they'd done in their career. So although we saw some people, and um, sadly overall, um, reported that perhaps they felt less proud of their work, we did see a significant number of people who actually reported work to be a really positive thing and that they were proud of their career and what they had achieved. Um, and that for many people, the work stories were really positive. They've made good friends and they felt really connected to their workplace. So that's obviously what we want to, to work on and to see for more people. And I know that, you know, in the adult services project, you know, later on in the year, um, when we can, can do a bit more things in the community again, this is an area we've identified we really want to do, do more with. Yeah, thank you for going into that, Kenny. It's a really important conversation to have. Um, so obviously you've talked through how people might be perceived in the workplace. That can affect how they view their own jobs prospects and themselves. Um, but did you also find that the way people view themselves also had an impact on their personal lives too? Yes. I mean, the short answer to that absolutely is yes. Um, to unpack that a bit more. So we did see that people's perception of their self and their past experiences of others, with others rather, can impact on their, their personal life. And it's reasonably fair to say that the more discrimination that people have faced in childhood you know, this has an impact on how they, they approach relationships in adulthood, um, which we know, you know, from all the psychological research into, you know, attachment and childhood and things like that. We know that if people's relationships early in life with, you know, parents and family and friends um, are not as positive, that 
it's likely to impact on them later in life. So in that sense, the cleft population is no different. Um, and we saw a really varied response when we asked some of these questions. So we found that a lot of people reported really positive relationships with parents and had some really good friendships growing up. And that's a real protective factor. And it, it translated into positive relationships in adulthood with many people reporting that they found their best friends at university or work, um, which is a really nice, nice thing. And I, I think it goes to show that, you know, although and that there was a theme of this that although school years might be be tough for some people actually generally things like university were really were a really positive experience because you suddenly find yourself surrounded by like-minded people for the first time in your life and that's incredibly empowering in itself um for others they found that establishing friendships could be be difficult um yet that they reported being happy with those friendships once they had established them and then for a smaller again number but again a significant group that we don't want to downplay um, establishing friendships was actually really difficult and then that they did not rate those friendships particularly highly once they were established which is obviously not something that we want to see um, it tended to correlate with specific events in life which we wouldn't necessarily attribute to cleft either um, but i think it's important to point out this is an example of life's kind of patchwork quilt if you like you know cleft having a cleft does not make you immune to the rest of stuff rest of you know other things that can happen in life you know all those other trials and tribulations and you know it does add on top of that and so you know to acknowledge that for people um that can make things even more tough than they might otherwise have been um one area that fairly routinely though for nearly everybody and it seems to be regardless of um kind of how they got on with friendships um it seems to be more difficult for our population than it was for the general population to establish romantic relationships and there are some reasons that i think i can offer for that from what what we've seen and it is something that we're looking at in more detail at, at the moment, um, I'm working with um, Bruna Costa at CAR um, to actually unpack some of this a, a bit more and to look at you know, risk and protective factors. And you know, if someone answers this, was it going to make them more likely to answer this on the survey? And I think we'll get some really interesting information out of that. Um, but it seemed to be a bit of a higher stakes game, or people perceived it was higher stakes to establish a romantic relationship than it was to establish other types of, of friendships and relationships and so what we generally tended to see was a delay of a number of years before people found someone who they felt comfortable to have a romantic um, relationship with and so we overall found that on average people born with a cleft had fewer romantic relationships compared to those who weren't born with a cleft but there were some positives in that and that the positives were that people generally reported that those relationships tended to last longer than the general population and actually when we did the maths on it it was significantly longer um, so of people who have been in a relationship the average in our survey the people have been in their relationship was 14 and a half years um, in the UK the general population average for the length of a relationship is two and a half years so, I mean, that's quite significant. So it, it suggests that there are some benefits in them taking that extra time to find the right, right person. Um, 
and as I say, you know, far fewer relationships. Um, on average, our group had fewer than two um, relationships. I think, I can't remember off the top of my head now what the UK average is, but it's, it's greater than 10. So that there was quite a disparity in, in there. Um, but although there was a lot of concern among people who either hadn't experienced romantic relationships or had experienced one that ended, again, as many people in the general population do, people who were currently in relationships, which, you know, whether that was married, you know, civil partnership, cohabiting or dating, they reported a high level of satisfaction in those relationships and that they used, um, you know, phrases such as, you know, that, that they were grateful for their choice and their partner and commented on the fact that they've made a conscious choice to wait for the right person to come along and enter their life, meaning that they actually didn't go through a lot of the, the heartache that they watched their peers go through. Um, so, you know, there's definitely two sides to this story. Um, and people also reported, you know, learning to become comfortable with their own company and being happy to wait. I mean, I think we can all think of people in our lives, you know, who just cannot be single um, and just constantly, you know, bounce from one relationship to the next. Generally, actually, what we were finding in our population was that for most people, they were okay with their own, own company for a bit um, and to actually figure out what, what they wanted out of a relationship rather than feeling this desperate rush to get into one. Um, but that being said, you know, because everyone is, is different here, still a small but significant minority were experiencing unhealthy relationship situations. And when we analyzed these deeper by asking some quite specific questions in the survey, um, unfortunately, it came down to self-esteem in most cases. And what we tended to see was that people had this sense that they weren't good enough for their partner. And as a result, they would stay in a relationship that they were unhappy in simply because they felt that, that it can do any better. And I, I think you don't need me to point out that, that that's a sad situation when that's happening because any loving partner shouldn't be making anybody feel like that. And in the Adults Roadshow in 2018, I actually spoke to lots of partners. One of the really nice things actually was that a lot of people's partners came along to support them, which, which is lovely. And they all said much the same thing, which is that they don't see the cleft in the way that their partner does. You know, they just, yeah, they acknowledge it's part of that person, but they just see their partner who they love for so, so many reasons. And that's, that's part of, of what makes them, them who they are. And, you know, it adds to the, it doesn't, take anything away from how they feel about the person so I, I wanted to share that as well and you know to remind people that it may also be your own self-perception rather than how your partner actually perceives you um, so yes people's perception of themselves to summarize seems to be a key factor in how they approach relationships um, and you know the the barrier um, with that may not actually be cleft related specifically it, it may be that it's impacting on your confidence and that it's the the lack of confidence there to approach people that is the reason why you feel you're not getting anywhere with relationships rather than people not being interested in having a relationship with you because they're actually quite different um, but unfortunately we also know that becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy unfortunately so the lack of self-esteem or confidence to approach people and engage with people them will make it hard to form a new relationship and make a positive first impression.
Um, but again, the good news for most people, once they've established friendships or romantic relationships, they report that, that high level of satisfaction um, and that they're more meaningful perhaps than they might have been had they not gone through the journey and gained that experience along the way. Yeah, okay, thank you. Um, so once again, thanks to everyone that's still tuned in. Um, and if you've been following us along so far throughout Awareness Week on our social media, you might have seen that we will be sharing videos from some interviews with some really incredible young people. Um, so we shared one today and something that came out of all those interviews actually was the importance of relating to people and how difficult it can be growing up when you feel like you can't relate to others who aren't going through the same thing. So a really important question that comes from that is how can we, like as friends, as partners, as any loved one, best offer support to those who are directly affected by cleft if we're mm. not and if we haven't been through the same thing? Mm. Well, I'd just like to start by acknowledging that's a really good observation, actually, that they've, they've made. And it's certainly something that can feel very tricky, I think. You know, I think we can all think of times in our life where we felt we're going through something that nobody else understands. Um, and the reality is that that may sometimes be true. However, it doesn't mean that other people can't empathize with you. And we don't necessarily have to have gone through the exact same experience to be able to say and do the right things at the right time. So we shouldn't be too scared of, of getting it, it wrong, I think, you know, as friends and family. So what I would encourage is to find some common ground and common experience that gives you an idea of what your friend or loved one may be going through, because we all do have life experiences. We can hinge things off. You know, I think part of the human condition is, you know, we, we go through different crisis crises from time to time um, and gain new life experience and perspective from that. Um, but equally, I think it's fine to say, and what you're going through sounds really tough and I just don't quite know what to say. Um, I think sometimes being able to acknowledge that and being genuine in that and then just being there to listen and being a good listener to take on board and being prepared to learn is actually more important than trying to find the right words to say. And I think this goes for, for everything, for, for anything really. You know, um, I mean, you can think of your own friends and picture a tough time and picture emotions that get attached to that and how it might feel and sometimes it's best just to say say nothing but just to be there um for your friends so that then you know be prepared to listen and see what they have to say and, and just let them know that you're available for them um the other thing i'd say on this is to not underestimate the impact of seeing your friend go through a tough time and to not feel bad about that like as we were saying earlier you know going through the cleft journey isn't something that most people have to do and like it has an impact on you as a friend or family member um we get that that's why you know our parent support service exists we know that you know watching your child go through this is a huge thing um therefore it's not really any different that watching your good friend go through this of course it's going to have an impact on you and that's absolutely okay to acknowledge and um i remember my friends saying this um going when they saw me going through jaw surgery um 
they had some quite strong feelings around that at the time. I think it kind of took them, them back a little bit because I suppose most of the time they were used to kind of seeing me, you know, happy, healthy and well. And then suddenly, uh, you know, they were looking at a very different picture for a little bit. And I think it made them feel both sad that they had to see me go through it. Um, but they also mentioned later on that they, they had a sense of guilt that they were able to leave the hospital and go home at night. Um, and they felt as well that they didn't feel they could have that conversation with me at the time because it, they felt that how they were feeling paled in comparison to what I was going through. But actually, to be honest with you, I would have welcomed that, that discussion and that conversation because I think it really would have felt then that actually I wasn't going through this on my own. We were all going through this together as a friendship group. Um, and I would say, you know, that shared friendship experience has definitely strengthened those friendships. Like, I mean, the good times feel even better now because we've gone through that, that together. Um, so I would say, don't be afraid to own how you're feeling and talk to your friend about that, whatever side of the equation you're on. Um, because as I said, it's a normal response to an abnormal situation. Um, you know, despite this though, we also know that there is no replacement for somebody who has walked in your shoes and does fully understand the journey that you're on. And that's where Clapper really comes into its own, um, because that's a perspective that we offer, you know, I was mentioning before, you know, the parent support service, um, so, but we've also got our peer, peer support service, um, which people who have gone through the journey can offer their perspective as well. And that can be a really positive thing if you've got some really specific questions and feelings um, that you would like addressed. And um, if there is a sense that, that what is lacking is, is real understanding, then please, you know, turn to that for support because it is a, a great service. Yeah, definitely. And that's the message that, clapper generally puts out time and time again you're not alone and there are always people here to support you wherever you are on your journey whether you're a parent a friend a partner anybody so yeah really really important to talk about um so on quite a positive <laughs> positive note so um from the survey as you already mentioned earlier a lot of people said that their their cleft sort of made them stronger more resilient um, and people also listed some of their tips and tricks for when they're having a challenging day. Um, so obviously, given that millions of people around the world right now are living in lockdown, it's a pretty relevant question. Um, so what are some things that adults mentioned in the survey help them with their emotional well-being? Yeah, that's definitely a strange situation around the world that we're all in together at the moment, isn't it? Um, but as many people who have been on the cleft journey will have had experience with, you know, being stuck at home actually is not necessarily a new thing. Um, it's something that we all go through after surgery. You know, obviously you spend a, a bit of time in hospital, but then you'll be discharged to recover at home. And so what, what do you do? You spend a few weeks on the couch watching Netflix. And it's for all the same reasons. It's to prevent getting an infection. Um, so for a lot of us, the difference this time around is, well, twofold. One, you know, hopefully the vast majority of people this time around, you're not unwell, you know, you're, you're, you're doing well. So, you, you know, you're able to view that time a little bit differently. But the other thing is you're also going to have other people around at home as well in many cases. Um, 
Now we've seen on our Facebook page the positive things people are doing during lockdown to make a positive situation out of, out of this. That being said, this is still new for a lot of people, including many people in our community. Um, and a lot of things that people said they do to look after their own emotional well-being um, in the survey are things that we can quite safely and easily do in lockdown. And it's all about what's finding what's it's all about finding what's right for you. And so being able to talk to other people about how you're feeling. And um, now obviously if you've got others within your kind of home bubble that you're able to do that with and you feel comfortable talking with them, um, then that's a great place to start. But of course, if you don't, you know, and we know that this reaching out to people thing is incredibly important and people live somewhere else, then you can still pick up the phone and have a chat you know don't let that physical distance cut you off i think it's really important you know um i think in the early days of this we, we called it social distancing and we, we've changed kind of the words we use now to go physical distancing because actually it's important not to be socially distant um and in the same way that we're having a chat now kate you know you can do that too um at home and have a chat with others about how you're feeling and it's important you know to make sure that we can all identify somebody who we can have a, a chat with it's, it's really important um something else that people found really good for their their well-being which i'm sure people can relate to here is regular exercise um and again that is something that you can easily and safely do either in your own home you know there's things like yoga and meditation um but equally getting out and going for a walk. There's nothing wrong with that if you're, you're keeping your distance and keeping within the, the guidelines. You know, going out for a run or a bike ride or, or going out for a, a swim at the beach if that's something that, you know, you're able, able to do. Um, obviously, it's not the time to take up a new sport or, you know, if you've never gone surfing before, now's not the time to learn. But, you know, those things that you already do and enjoy, keep them up if you can. You know, it's not only going to keep you emotionally well, but it's going to keep you physically well as well um there's lots of things you can do to relax at home as well um you know people mention this things like putting on a film um reading a book you know whatever it is that's your go-to there's no right or wrong answers here um a lot of people mention listening to music as well as a way of getting through and um, that music can talk to them in a way that people felt really resonated with them um and also in a way that they might not have been able to articulate themselves, but a song can often do that perfectly, um, which is a really great way to actually start a conversation about how you're feeling with somebody else. Um, you can take, you know, a song that you feel really means something to you, share it with somebody and ask them what they think. Um, so have a think about that. You know, what songs do you find connection with? and when you're in different moods and at different times. So there's lots of fun things that you can do with, with music. Um, some people felt really guilty about, about this. And of course, there are some circumstances where this can be problematic. But for, for most people, you know, if you enjoy a glass of wine or a bit of chocolate or you want to bake your favorite biscuits, you know, anything in moderation should be fine. You know, so whatever it was involving food, and drink it's also all about getting through and if it makes you you know feel better emotionally then you know as long as it's not creating a major problem for you in other ways um then i, I would suggest going for it you know if your biggest achievement today was putting the rubbish bins out then you know good for you that's that's fine you know we're in a very strange situation as well and i think that's important to acknowledge and we can't judge ourselves by 
our previous productivity. You know, the, the world that was there two months ago in which we kind of judged ourselves by actually doesn't exist at the moment. So it's really important that, you know, we be kind to ourselves and we don't judge ourselves. And I hope if you've taken nothing else out of this talk, it's that you've taken the message to not judge yourself by how you perceive others to be doing. And also, by the same token, avoid judging others by how you perceive yourself to be doing as well. You know, be kind to yourself, be kind to others, cut yourself some slack, and it's okay to do whatever makes you feel the most comfortable. Yeah, some very, very good advice and an excellent roundup there. Um, so I think this will be the last question, just so we have time to address some of the ones you're all asking at the end. Um, so I guess the big overarching question is, um, why is it so important to talk about emotional well-being for adults born with a cleft? And what does Clapper do to offer support? Well, I mean, again, I think really, I hope if we've demonstrated nothing else, it's that emotional well-being is important for everybody in our society. You know, we, we all have to look after our emotional well-being. We all have mental health. Um, and we're recognising that now more than ever and I, I think we will actually see you know and we'll, I'm sure we'll all have a think at some point as we start to come out the other side of this current situation of actually what do we want the world we go in into next to look like because I, I would hazard a guess it will look a little bit different to the world we we had a couple of months ago and I, I hope it's one where we do find a bit more compassion and kindness and time to connect with each other um, and really understand how how each other is doing and feeling. In the context of cleft, obviously we've come on leaps and bounds in recent years and recognizing the impact that it's not just the physical and medical journey. Um, you know, it's not just the impact that that has on people, but the long-term psychological impact of going through something that's as unique and challenging as cleft. We know that what we found in our survey in the UK is by no means unique. You know, there are examples of studies in Scandinavia, the United States, China, Australia, which have all found the same concept that emotional well-being is impacted in some way by cleft, and that there are things that we can be doing in, you know, early on in life to set people up in the best stead to live a happy and healthy life. Historically and wrongly, there has been a lot of stigma about acknowledging mental health, which when you think about it, you know, it does make no sense because as I was saying this before, we all have mental health. And um, mental health is a spectrum that we all, all sit on and we move up and down depending on what happens in our lives. Um, you know, as a society, we've come a long way in recent years to destigmatize mental health and to acknowledge it as just, you know, as just a significant condition as one which would impact on physical health. And I know it sounds absurd, but like if your leg was hanging off, you wouldn't just wait and see how that goes. You know, you would go and get help for it. And it's a, a shame to think that the same attitude still doesn't apply to mental health. Um, you know, and it, it's why it is incredibly important having cleft teams on psychologists because they can notice early on that, you know, you're, you know, that your leg might be starting to hang off and to actually do something about it before, you know, everything becomes too much. Um, and what we've recognized by talking about it and by addressing things early, is that we can keep people at that po more positive end of that spectrum, you know, which, 
what that looks like is people who are happy, people who have a high sense of self-esteem, people who are less anxious about the future, and not only less anxious about the future, but actually excited about the future, because that's important too. Um, and as a result of that, they're making the most of life, which is what we want to see for everybody. Um, and so yes, acknowledging that cleft does present some challenges, but it doesn't have to be a barrier to leading a full and happy life. And that's where CLAFA and CLEF teams come in to make sure that everyone is living their life um, to the highest potential. And, and I think, you know, between CLAFA and the NHS CLEF team and our research partners, like at the Centre for Appearance Research, we're a pretty formidable team. Um, and, you know, we acknowledge everybody in life needs support from time to time with something. Um, and so what CLAFA do to offer support, you know, we offer that opportunity to engage with other people who have walked in your shoes whether that be through events, you know, get-togethers and things with your community, adventure days, residential weekends, um, but also we empower you to understand more about the condition that you or your family member has been born with. And we do that in a variety of ways to break down the barriers to accessing healthcare information. So to use the Adults Project as an example, because it's the one that I, I know the best, we've delivered our Clef Talk podcasts and videos where we've taken some of the most frequently asked questions that people have that didn't feel comfortable to ask. And then we've got the experts in to answer them. And then you, you know, people can listen and watch in their own time. And we found that's been, been really successful. In a similar vein, we've had our annual adults conferences and previously our wider clapper conferences where we've looked at issues you're telling us um, you want to learn more about but don't know where to turn to. So we brought that information to you as well. And then finally, as we were mentioning earlier, we have our direct one-to-one -one support, which is our parent and peer support service, as well as our info email support service, and then the group support that's offered through our Facebook groups and social media pages. And we acknowledge that many adults won't have had access to psychology services growing up, as I was mentioning before, and may feel a, a real sense of loss about that. And while sadly we can't undo the past, we can start here and have a positive way forward, which is why adults of any age are entitled to visit their cleft team, even if they've never seen a cleft team before. In fact, much of the work that the cleft team psychologists do is to support adults who have never had psychological care previously. So there is no need to feel alone, as we were saying, and there is nothing that the cleft team psychologists haven't seen or heard before. Again, the only shame in all of this would be the shame of missing out on life. And there are always people who can support you on this journey. And I think that's kind of where I'd like to, to wrap up on this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely. Um, so I think now we've got a bit of time to look at some of the questions you've been asking. So thank you so much for watching and for listening along. Um, so I'll read out some questions for you, Kenny. So we've got a question from Rebecca. Um, so she says, I'm trying to raise my son to be cleft proud. Any tips appreciated? Mm, a great question, Rebecca. And I think, you know, I think the fact that you're, um, you know, thinking about that means you, you know, you're already in great stead to do, do a good job um, with that. I think, you know, first and foremost, um, having the same expectation for your children that, um, you know, you would, if your child didn't have a cleft, you know, letting them know that you don't see cleft as a barrier, but it is a part of them. And to, to acknowledge that and to have open conversations about, you know, the, the difficult times and letting your, your child know that they can do that. Um, 
and you know encouraging them to be be a part of the, the community if that's something that they choose to do and of course we acknowledge there are a lot of people who they choose not to for whatever reason um, and often that can be a really positive reason where they, they actually feel they don't need anything out of the, the community at this this stage but but yeah just encouraging them to really embrace who they are there's a really nice saying that i i like and that i resonate with which is you know um that having a cleft has made me into the the perfectly imperfect person that i am and i like who i am and that's something that i think every kind of um parent can help to foster in their child by kind of you know just an environment of love and acceptance and, and support great thank you kenny so rebecca hope that answers your question um so we've got a few more so question from jennifer um is i'm curious if there is any data on the rate on the rate of drug and substance abuse among cleft affected folks um, she says i'm wondering how high self-medicating is that's that's a really good question jennifer and it is something that we actually asked in the the survey what we found wasn't anything that would indicate particular concern over and above the kind of population averages so it, it's not really why i've gone into it it much here but to acknowledge the point that we did you know when we were talking before about some of the positive things people were doing to manage difficult days there were definitely behaviors in there including self-medicating um that we would identify as, as areas of concern for a very small proportion of people. Again, a proportion that I think we felt was in line with the general population. And usually when looking a little bit closer, also symbolic of other things that may have been happening um, in their life, whereas it, it couldn't seem to be necessarily just cleft that was a contributing factor there, but um, definitely something that, that can happen and, and worth being aware of um, but not the data that we found anyway was not indicating that it's a particularly prevalent issue in the cleft population but really good question mm -hmm. yeah thank you Jennifer for bringing that up um, so the next one is from Gail um, so it's I'm very conscious of the way my voice sounds to me my voice sounds normal but others notice I sound like I'm talking through my nose I sometimes notice it more when I say certain words than when I can hear it. I hate it and I get embarrassed by it. Yeah, I'm, I mean, that's a really, a really tricky one, Gail. And I think, you know, just to pick up on that, I think a lot of people can identify with that. And we saw that come quite strongly through, through the, um, the survey. And I mean, in terms of the support that's available, if you were to, to want to do something about that, then, you know, as we mentioned, you, you do have access to the cleft team, you know, and within that, obviously there's the psychological care, which, you know, might help with some of the self-talk around how you're feeling about that. Um, but also, you know, you've got the option of having an assessment for potentially speech therapy um, or potentially further um, surgical care around speech concerns, if you feel it's that much of, of an issue for you so i mean there are options available um that doesn't downplay how you're feeling though and um you know we are as we were saying we're all our own toughest critic which, which is is hard and it is particularly hard when we do perceive that other people pick up on something you know whether or not they they choose to be kind about it it, it still is a thing in our, our own mind um and so if it is is bothering you to that 
extent where you know you're using phrases such as i hate it i would i would just strongly encourage you to consider you know returning to the cleft team having a chat with um you know the team there and just seeing what options are available to you either in terms of, of that psychological support around managing those feelings and or um anything that might be able to address the underlying concern that you, you've got there with your speech as well so thank you gail for reaching out because i'm sure a lot of people will have heard what you you just said and thought yeah no you know what me too i know know how that feels yeah and out, it looks like in the comments there are a lot of people that were feeling and thinking the same thing as well so thank you very much for bringing that up gail um so we've got another one from sean um so she says why is it i don't like looking at other people with cleft lips I feel really uncomfortable and it bothers me that I feel like this. Yeah, I mean, again, Charlotte, a really good question. Um, and, you know, not one that obviously I can, can answer specific to your circumstance because, you know, without knowing you and all the things that have happened in your life, and I'm not a psychologist as well, it's really important to point out. Um, but what we have seen is that a number of people have told, told us fairly strongly over the years that, being part of the cleft community isn't necessarily something that they want to identify with. And it sounds like on some level, there may be some element of that happening for you. I mean, obviously you're engaged with the community to the point, you know, where you're listening to this and, and you know, engaging with us in that way, but it may feel quite uncomfortable or confronting perhaps for you to, you know, engage with other people who were, were born with a cleft. It may bring up, some emotions or feelings of, of your own. And again, you know, I would suggest if it's something that is of concern to you and you're feeling that really quite strongly, it may be something to unpack with a, a psychologist, but I, I don't think it's inherently unusual. I think you'll find there's a group of people out there in the, the wider cleft population who very much would feel the same, same way. And they're obviously the people we don't often see engaged with clapper in quite the same way. The less light has come along along to events but i think there's definitely a proportion of people who who will feel that and it's i don't think it's inherently wrong to feel that way you know people deal with things in, in different ways and and that's you know you know good on you for acknowledging it as well i, I would say because that's um you know takes a, a level of, of maturity to recognize that in yourself and that that's that's what's going on but if it's something that you would like to see see change for you then you know definitely it, it may be something that you start by reaching out to either the psychologist or our peer support service where you can talk to somebody on the phone and it's you know a slightly different sort of stepping stone if you like to think aging yeah and actually to add on to what you've said um we actually had a reply to sean's comment from jennifer um saying i wonder if it's a visual reminder of your own cleft it's more or less easy to not see ours and in some way ignore or forget it but seeing another person with a cleft is a visual, so to speak, in your face reminder. So that, mm. that really echoes what you've just said. Yeah, no, I completely agree with Jennifer there. I mean, I think it, it, it will force you again to, to relive perhaps, you know, something that you, you've gone through and, and just bring, bring it to the, the front of your mind again, I guess, in a way that if you were just going about your day, maybe you weren't thinking about cleft and then it, it's brought it back and there's all the emotions attached that so I, I can see that yeah definitely um and jennifer actually also added i think allowing ourselves to be vulnerable can be tough 
considering how often we have been vulnerable without choice. Yeah, a really, really excellent point as well, because it isn't easy to open up about, about these things either. And yeah, you know, as you say, often that choice is taken away from you. So then when you do have it, you may be more reluctant to, to use it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we've got another question here from JD. So thank you for asking. Um, so she says, is it okay to be anxious and scared about my little girl with a bilateral cleft lip and palate starting school? Um, I hear so many horror stories from people about being bullied, about how she looks and sounds, and I feel quite helpless. I think, you know, to start with that, lady, I think it's a completely normal reaction to feel, feel anxious and, and concerned about, about what your child, you know, may go through and the, the journey that's ahead for them. And um, because it, it is uncertain, there's, you know, we, we can offer some reassurances of, about certain things, but reality is individual situations, we, we don't know how how they're going to play out until they they do i mean what we we do know is that you know for all the reasons we were mentioning before um society is becoming a more accepting more positive place where we actually value the diversity in people rather than seeing it as something to be be feared or, or concerned about um but of course you just want you know the absolute best for your child as everybody does and um at home obviously you've got a lot more control about that and then when somebody goes to school um, that's taken out of your hands. So I can, can, can totally understand, um, you know, the feelings of, of anxiety around there. Again, and I'm probably starting to sound like a stuck record here, but I would recommend chatting that through with the cleft team psychologist. You know, they're, they're there for you as well and to get some strategies, but also, you know, talk to, you know, your child's teacher about the, the concerns that you have at that point as well. Ask them, you know, how are you going to include my child in the class and you know help them establish those friendships and things because what we know about the early years at school is that it's a, as much about getting a good social grounding as it is about getting an academic grounding so um yeah and again you know like i said to um you know our, our first person who asked the question you know just acknowledging for your child that you're always there to have those conversations with them as well you know when those difficult moments come up and you know as i'm sure any parent of any child will tell you difficult moments will, will come up in, in a child's life and um just letting them know that that you're there and happy to have those conversations and be a sounding board i think it is really really important um so yeah i hope that answers your question a little bit but yeah i mean do talk to the psychologist talk to your um, school teacher and you know keep talking to your your child as well yeah thank you Kenny um, and thank you for asking JD so I think we'll probably have to wrap it up now because it's been over an hour now um, so thank you so so much to everyone to all of you who've tuned in keep not being able to say tuned in everyone who has tuned in um this has been the first of its kind for clapper alive um and we've really enjoyed doing it um, and reaching out to you in this way so as well we can see that some of you some of you may have been engaging with clapper for the first time tonight so thank you so much for getting involved thank you if you're taking part in awareness week it's great to see you like tagging us in your posts and sharing your stories and everything um it really is amazing so thank you for that um, 
And if, if you've enjoyed this live, um, we can definitely experiment again in the future with more live videos, see how that goes. Um, so yeah, just thank you so much for coming along. Um, it's been great. Um, and as Kenny sort of mentioned throughout this whole sort of discussion, um, Clef Talk, um, the podcast as part of the Adult Services Project, they have like sort of delved into a lot of these topics that we've covered in a lot more detail. So it's definitely worth checking out on our website um, and we'll make sure to link um, in the chat again for you. Um, and of course, if you are wanting to get involved with Awareness Week this week, we've got lots of ideas on our website for ways to get involved. And that's just clapper.com forward slash AW2020. So definitely get involved and thanks so much for coming along. Yeah. <laughs> Great. And yeah, thanks again to you all for, for your questions and um, for engaging with us. It's been, been our pleasure. Yeah. Thank you very much. And we'll see you again soon. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for tuning in to Clef Talk, brought to you by Clapper and proudly supported by the VTCT Foundation. We want to know what you thought of the programme so that we can make the next one even better. If you found this interesting, please make sure you subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or your favourite podcast player. Our next podcast is coming at the beginning of next month. Check out www.clapper.com forward slash cleftalk to find out what we'll be talking about next. We want your questions to take to the panel. Visit our panel discussion page on our website to submit your questions. You can also check out everything we're up to with the Adult Services Project, including a list of our upcoming programmes and events at www.clapper.com forward slash Adult Services Project. You also can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. We look forward to talking to you again soon.